Hey there. Welcome to another edition of the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we're going to go back to a kind of interesting moment in time. We're going to go back to the last show we recorded before everything pretty much got shut down. Um, we've actually never played these interviews before. In fact, our announcer, Elena Passarello, was under the weather that week in March. Of course, we didn't fully realize the possible implications of that. Um, but we were able to get the hilarious Hari Kondabalu to fill in at the last minute. Uh, we also talked to writer Sarah Scholes about UFOs and why people really want to believe in them. And we heard some truly amazing music from Angelica Garcia. So do not go anywhere. We've got a great, slightly weird show in store for you. And it all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Elena. Hey there, Lucas Membrane. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good, actually. Did you spend all week planning that? There may or may not be (laughs) uh, ad hoc secret coalition brainstorming (gasps) Luke names. You guys are working behind the scenes to come up with the new nickname for me each week? (laughs) I can neither confirm nor deny that claim, Senator. Senator Um, Lucas Membrane. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this, Elena. Mm -hmm. Would somebody named Lucas Membrane have launched something they're calling a 60-day challenge? Uh, No, that doesn't feel very membranous at all to me. I decided that for the next 60 days, I'm going to try to be a little bit more mindful about what I'm eating, Mm -hmm. what I'm drinking, Mm -hmm. maybe getting a little more exercise. I feel like I slid into this self-care mode for a few months in there. Yeah. That was actually not doing me any favors. I was just sort of like letting myself do whatever I wanted under the guise of like just surviving what we're all going through with the pandemic. But now I decided this week that period of the pandemic for me has ended. And now getting it together, that period of the pandemic has just started. And it was because I saw myself on an old TV story. (laughs) And man, how things have changed in about one year, Elena. So I will give you some reports over the course of the next few shows of how I'm doing on my my self-improvement project. In the meantime, you ready to do the show? Let's do it. All right, Molly, are we recording? Mr. Membrane, we are recording. (laughs) I think I just identified where the nickname committee is residing. All right, Elena, take it away. 
From PRX, it's Livewire! Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire House Party! This week with comedian Hari Kondabolu, science writer Sarah Scholes, and music from Angelica Garcia. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, live and direct, from a small room just off his kitchen, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank! Thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the show this week. Uh, We have a pretty interesting episode in store for you. Mm -hmm. This was the last show that we recorded in front of a live audience. It was in early March. Mm -hmm. And, of course, at the time, we had no idea uh, that that things were going to go on as long as they have in terms of the pandemic and Mm -hmm. social distancing. And this was also the week, Elena, for the first time ever uh, of your association with the show that you were actually too sick (laughs) <laughs> to come fulfill your duties as announcer. You were like really sick. Yeah, I think I was the sickest I've been in a decade. Well, I remember having a conversation with our executive producer, Laura Haddon, uh, about if, because you were like still going to try to do it. Yep. <laughs> and and we, were, we were like, you know, it's probably, there's this, you know, virus that people are talking about, which mm-hmm. seems like it's kind of becoming a big deal. And maybe it's a bad look if our announcer is on stage <laughs> coughing and right. sick. I mean, like, but that was the extent of it. We just thought, well, it might be kind of a bad look. It didn't occur to us that you may very well have had a early version of this COVID thing yep. and could have potentially brought it to all of us. Yeah, it's true. So I really uh, I dodged a bullet there. And it speaks to this earlier way of, of mm-hmm. being, which is if you can blink, if you can breathe, go to work, right? Like perfect yeah. attendance culture, um, which now I think it might have gone the way of all brassiers. You know, <laughs> I am so glad that we talked you out of coming yeah. up to the Alberta Rose Theater for that. It could have been a super spreader situation. Oh, yeah. Luckily, everybody was safe. Uh, and yeah, Hari Kondabalu, our friend of the show, was able to fill in as announcer at the last minute. And so throughout this show, we're going to kind of be playing some of those segments that we recorded back in March. Uh, in fact, let's do that right now. We do an audience card each week on the show. Uh, this week, back in March, we had asked the audience at the Alberta Rose Theater, outside the world of politics, what are you still an undecided voter on? Uh, take a listen to our answers and the audience's answers to that question live from the stage of the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. The thing I'm undecided on is um, if we should really wash our legs in the shower or not. Mm. How else would they get clean? I'm not talking about feet. Okay, feet, they're doing a lot of work. They're in socks, which are in shoes. Those need to be cleaned. But I'm talking about like mostly your shin area. Like how dirty... Mm is the average person, like I'm not talking about a rugby player or professional soccer player, but like a public radio host. How dirty are my shins actually getting on a daily basis that I need to spend time in the shower washing my legs? Well, based on that logic, shouldn't you not like wash your chest or your stomach? My chest is filthy. (laughs) I don't want to get into that. Okay, okay. No, you're right, though, actually. Honestly, I could probably leave chest and stomach out of it, too. Right. So you would wash your face, yeah. your, your arms, hands. Yeah. Uh, you would armpits. Armpits. Nether, nether regions. regions. Thank you. Right. Uh, we didn't even rehearse that. We just both said nether regions in stereo. And you'd skip right to feet. 
Yeah. I think and, at the end of my life. And that you how much time exactly? I mean, at the end of a lifetime, probably over seven minutes. <laughs> if you add it all up. Right, right, right. I do wash my legs, but I have to admit, as I'm lathering up my shins, I feel like I'm probably wasting my time. I just don't know how critical it is to my overall biome. Okay, here's the thing. So you're, uh, you're washing your body, right? You're yes. getting the filth off. Yes. Some of that filth is going gonna, is gonna to drip down onto your legs and oh your shins. Gosh. So at the bare minimum, you have to clean off the filth that yes. was recently added. That's migrated your, from the right. other parts of my body. Yes. Wow. Okay. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad you're here, Hari. What about you? What is, what's, what's something that you're sort of an undecided voter on outside of politics? Um, I, I think it's making the bed. I feel really, because on one hand, I understand. When you make the bed, there was a feeling of, okay, it's a new day. Mm -hmm. it's, some people say it, it, it's good for your state of mind to see things in order. But to me, it's a worthless activity because we know it's going to happen again. Like, you know, by the end of the night, I'm a comedian. So it's like maybe an hour later. It's gonna, <laughs> That's your schedule? It's, <laughs> it's, it's wake up for two hours, yeah. nap for an hour, wake up for two hours, nap. Yeah. Um, so what is it's like building a sand castle right near the water. Like you know it's going to happen. It's going to be undone in moments. I have to admit I'm a big bed maker because there are certain days when it's the one accomplishment that I achieve. <laughs> like I put a lot of very doable things on my to-do list. Right. Like brush, check. Yes, honestly it'll be like go outside. Right. <laughs> Look around. Okay, did it. Right. And I mean there are days when making the bed I'll walk into the bedroom and I'll see the beds made and I'll be like, well, we got that going for us, burbs. <laughs> Do you know why the people aren't laughing right now? Because they have real jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, oh, that's neat. So there are just some days you think waking up is the accomplishment. Okay. Um, what are these hardworking audience members here at the Alberta Rose Theater saying about the things that they're undecided on, Hurry? Well... Neil is undecided whether Genesis reuniting without Peter Gabriel is, is a good idea. That's, I mean, I'm surprised there are undecided voters on that. That seems like an automatic no. Yeah, I mean... Do they still have Phil Collins, though? No, Phil, it, it doesn't matter if Peter Gabriel's in the band right now. He hasn't been in the band in a really long time. Also, if you listen to early Genesis, there's four nerds in this audience that like it, and the rest... Exactly. They, I know Portland. They and just they just wooed weekly. Yeah, that's 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 passive it. aggression. Um, but they like nobody cares about Peter Gabriel's Genesis. People, I didn't even know Peter Gabriel was in Genesis until a few years ago because all the hits came with Phil Collins. The fact I know anything about this band tells you that I've studied middle class white people for quite some time. <laughs> Because I'm talking about Genesis. <laughs> okay. What, what else uh, are the uh, uh, audience members still undecided on? Well, Laura's undecided about food expiration dates. Are they real or not? Yeah. They're not real. I don't think they're real. They're not real. You're telling me that, like, if there's no mold in a bunch of strawberries, but it's past due. Well, clearly, I can't trust my eyes. I need to trust the government. <laughs> I, yeah. I do a lot of testing of how bulgy the container is. <laughs> like if it's tight like a drum. Yeah, yeah. 
throw that out. Food expiration dates, like they're super careful about it because they don't want to get sued and right. stuff. There's no upside. In fact, there's an incentive for them to tell you it's bad. Right. Soon, because then you have to buy more. Like somebody on Twitter wrote about how about every two weeks they go buy one of those bags of salad. So then they can throw out the unopened bag of salad that was in the refrigerator and replace it with a new bag of salad. Just to avoid actually getting the lettuce and breaking it off and chopping into pieces. Yeah. You don't buy those bags of lettuce in New York where you live? I do, but I'm trying to show some kind of moral high ground here that I don't actually have. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that. Uh, One more. What is the audience undecided on? Um, Well, Sarah's undecided if farts are funny. (laughs) Farts are funny. Yeah. They're very funny. We can yeah. pretend that like, if I farted right now, some people would laugh and be kind of nervous and feel kind of weird. But if it was like the three of us and we were friends in a room and one of us farted, we're laughing. Yeah. How hilarious. A sound came out of our butt. <laughs> Who would have expected that? Look at that. We're, we're pretending we're not animals. And then, I am an animal. <laughs> Hari, you are the perfect person to be here with us this week, (laughs) as has already been demonstrated. But in case people are uh, slightly unfamiliar with your body of work, you have this great Netflix special that's streaming right now. It's called Warn Your Relatives. Uh, You were named one of Variety's top ten comics to watch. Not just comics to listen to. No, but to watch. You were also named one of the London School of Economics graduates when you graduated from there that's true with a graduate degree a lot of money was wasted before i chose this job do you think that was a waste Um, you got your your graduate degree in human rights from the london school of economics i mean human rights is only slightly more lucrative than stand-up comedy Um, (laughs) i I mean it's not a waste in terms of i feel like i grew a lot getting that degree I, i learned a lot about the world and i met a lot of incredible people who were my classmates but also served as my teachers but if i was my parents yes it's a waste yes it was it was a waste yeah yeah this is the live wire house party i am luke burbank here with thankfully the now recovered elena passarello <laughs> finally who was who was sick Back when we recorded this episode of the show, this was in early March, and this was our last show in front of a live audience. Hari Kondabalu was kind enough to fill in as announcer. Uh, This was recorded at the Alberta Rose Theater. Uh, We have to take a very quick break, but we will be back with much more in just a moment. So stay with us. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke, I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners... Uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. Uh, probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm-hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including... Uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. 
if we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm-hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com slash livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Does it stress you out, Elena, to know that our families are listening to the show more closely during the pandemic? Um, a little bit more, yeah, especially because there's not an audience in front of us. So really the only audience that I can picture right now is like my mom. Yeah. <laughs> Never a great thing for creativity, I would think. No, when I was an actor, one time my mom came to see me in a play where I had a big part and it was in a little small theater. And at one point, I my gaze like went out to where she was sitting in the audience and she was, she was pumping her hands and going, slow down, slow down. I was like 26 years old, like equity actor. And she was like, oh my like, like conducting me from the wings. So Did or, you slow down? Probably. Uh, Okay, let's pick up our conversation that that we've been having with podcaster James Kim. Uh, We recorded this back in February 2019. We were talking about his podcast, which is called Moonface and is really incredible. Uh, Take a listen to this. One of the uh, things that is discussed uh, in the podcast is this Korean term Han. Can you kind of explain what that is and, and what role it plays in, the, in Moonface? Yeah, I discovered this term a couple years ago, and it was an article. I don't remember who wrote it, but it was titled Kimchi Rage. And I was like, whoa, that's racist. And then when I was reading it, um, I was like, oh, no, like, I totally understand this. And, and uh, you know, it was written by a Korean person, too. So I was like, all right. But... Um, <laughs> It's, it's this thing where, um, you know, South Koreans have been through a lot. They've been through Japanese colonization and they've been through, you know, w- what happened with the DMZ and especially what's happening now in North Korea, that they've internalized a lot of these emotions and they, they kind of believe that these emotions that they haven't let out, this anger, this depression, this sadness has been passed down through generation to generation and has caused this... I don't know, like a really bubbling emotion that they can't control. And then all of a sudden it would just burst. 
Um, so like someone showed me like there's like a video, uh, a YouTube video of like two Korean people who are, who were in traffic and one of them gets out of their car, starts screaming. The other one gets out of the car, starts screaming and then get into a fist fight. And like, that's kimchi rage. It's like when they take an ordinary scenario that can be de-escalated just by words that, that it just escalates really quickly. And, um, and it, it all stems from this idea that, that Koreans haven't had an outlet to let all these emotions out. It's something that I feel like a lot of like second generation Koreans like me have been, we've been more open about discussing our feelings. Like my, my parents' generation, they do not talk about their feelings at all. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, my dad came up to me, something happened in my family and it must've been bad because he came to me and he was like, don't ever tell anybody about this. You always keep this drama in the family, just keep it to yourself. And, you know, now growing up with... Uh, Boy, did you ever not do that. I, <laughs> <laughs> I just laid Like it all you literally there. are broadcasting. Just, yeah, <laughs> every single thing, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, exactly. Like things like making this podcast and seeing other people like Andrew On, he's a film director um, based in LA and did a, 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 a story about a Korean American coming out to his parents too and seeing a lot of these Korean Americans like talking about their feelings and making art about their feelings I feel like that's been kind of a, a counter movement to what our parents generations has been which is like shut down completely has your mom heard the podcast no she has not she actually doesn't even know what I do I even remember when I got like a new job in podcasting she's like I don't know what that is, but great. Yeah. So yeah, she totally, she has no idea what a podcast is and like, I'm going to keep it that way. There's so many things that uh, are super personal. I mean, you both heard it. It starts at a sex club and I would rather not have my mom listen to a character based on me having an orgasm. Kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the right call. Yeah, right. <laughs> 100%. All right, James, I feel even though Moonface is fictionalized, uh, if, if folks listen to it, they learn a lot about you, as we've established. Uh, but we want the Livewire audience to get a better sense of kind of what makes you tick. And so to that end, uh, here on stage, we've got a physical jar on the desk. It has the five essential questions of our time in it. We call this exercise the jar of truth. Here's how this is going to work. Oh, man. Uh, James will have you pull a question at random from the Jar of Truth. Elena Passarella will read you the question, and then we'd like to get your uh, truthful answer to one of the five essential questions of our time. Man, can I just do a dare instead? <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you look great and your friend looks terrible, is it ethical to post the photo online? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's the <laughs> That's on them. That's their fault. I'm really? Sorry. Oh, yeah, totally. If you're looking good and it's just like, I don't know. I've had that done to me before and I just didn't care. And I'm just huh. like, you know what? I'm just going to. And then I ended up doing it to someone else and um, they're mad about it. But I was just like, too bad. Sorry. I don't know if that's. Yeah. I feel like I'm learning something here uh, from you, James. Uh, let's do another question. All right. Can you refer to multiple people as your best friend? <laughs> this sucks that I have to answer this one uh, because my my um, best friends don't know that there's multiple best friends in my circle. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> and um, yeah, I guess they do now. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, yeah I have like about four or five best friends. Um, I think it's cool, but I guess it's all. Um, I, I don't know if my other best friends have other best friends. 
Do you tell them, though, because I have a, probably a couple people in my life who I would, depending on the day, consider my best friend, but I don't think I've ever said to them, you are my best friend. Really? Like, yeah. You never told anyone that, that, that you know, they're the... I mean, not since, like, seventh grade. Oh, is this... Uh- <laughs> But I don't, I'm not, I don't think there's anything juvenile about it. I think there's something in me that it feels like that's too intense to say to one of my friends. Maybe it's too much pressure, or maybe I don't want to be locked into that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you yeah. actually tell your yeah. like, friends, hey, you're my best friend. Yeah, I feel like I'm like uh, polyamorous when it comes to best friends. You know, <laughs> like multiple best friends. Because best friend indicates it's a superlative that that's the one best friend yeah i feel like that's the same with like monogamy right it's like if you believe in monogamy then it's like that one true love and and i just don't so i feel like yeah i I think it's totally okay about having multiple best friends you can make that deep connection with multiple people well james now uh we have your mom who you don't want to hear the podcast and your four to eight best friends who (laughs) you don't want to hear this radio broadcast you got a lot of secrets brother a lot of secrets james kim everybody the podcast is moonface That was James Kim, recorded back in 2019, talking about his podcast, Moonface. All right, more Livewire coming up in a moment. This is the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, each week, we like to ask the listeners a question. And because we're talking about family a lot on the show this week, uh, we asked, besides Zoom calls and homeschooling, because those are so, like... <laughs> just ubiquitous in everyone's lives these days. Besides Zoom calls and homeschooling, how are you staying in touch with your family? What are the creative ways that you're interacting with your loved ones? Uh, What are some of the answers that the Livewire audience gave, Elena? Okay, we got this one from Amber. I text with my nephew and my sister gives him her phone, but Hmm. he's six, so he's just sending me a bunch of emojis. But it still makes my day. (laughs) (laughs) I have a friend who's in a, a sort of texting relationship like that with a kid who gets a hold of their parents' phone, but the kid is so young, all they know how to write is their name. <laughs> so my friend will just get a series of texts from her friend's phone with the kid's name. That's just the kid trying to reach out and make contact. It's like the uh, Hodor of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hodor. We could, we could use all Hodor at a time like this. Yeah. Um, all right, what else? Oh, here's one from Jessica. My mom, aunt, cousins, and I have started a virtual book club. My aunt Mm. somehow never manages to finish the book, even though this was her idea. But hey, (laughs) it's something. (laughs) I'm going to do that. I want to start a virtual book club. Really? You want to do it with me? I mean, I I'm, honestly, I embody the spirit of that aunt who won't finish the books. <laughs> but I, I appreciate her game because I'm the person who will come up with the idea, mm-hmm. but then not follow through. Like, hey, we should do this elaborate project, and then I'll be the only one who doesn't actually fulfill my part of the of the project. But you're the instigator. You're the connector. You're the 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 flint. Okay. Well, speaking of book clubs, uh, if you were going to set up a virtual book club, do you have a book you would recommend? You're always reading. Yeah, uh, I just read this amazing book called Tomboy Land by this woman named Melissa Falavino. And it's this collection of essays on growing up in the Midwest. 
And okay. so, but she looks at the Midwest in all these different ways. She looks at tornadoes and sports fandom and um, like kinky things that happen in the Midwest, like places for, you know, kinky behavior. And she, it's just really smart and really fun. Uh, it's, it's awesome. And I would love to get a bunch of my Midwestern friends together because I'm not a Midwesterner and do a book club with them and um, com- sort of compare notes. So uh, Tom okay. Boyland by Melissa Falaveno. How about you? Uh, I have been really just still trying to work my way through about 400 back issues of the New Yorker. (laughs) Like, you know, that, you know, that pile of New Yorkers that we all had and then the pandemic started and I looked at them and I was like, let's dance. (gasps) And I'm actually making okay progress. I mean, that's not anything to brag about, but, but I have to say I've been pleasantly surprised that there are articles from five years ago that I still find, you know, totally interesting. No, I think, I think this is a killer idea rather than a book. Let's like make use of this stack, this ubiquitous stack that everybody has. But of course, if you came up with that idea, then you wouldn't have to read any of the essays because that's the the person that you are in the book club. You just come up with the ideas and. Yes. And then let everyone else tell me what was in the article and if it was worth investing my time. (laughs) Uh, Okay. One more. Here is one from uh, Cass. Cass has, aside from Zoom calls, uh, Cass has been, quote, chatting with my sister after the all-family Zoom session so we can (gasps) gossip about the rest of our family. (laughs) That is a real thing. Like, um, breakout Zoom sessions that are adjacent to the main room so that you can... I've noticed this on on various calls where people... Sometimes there'll be text chains that open up where you can text about kind of like your real feelings about whatever's happening on the the big screen. A lot of times that's work related. Yes. I've been on one of those where your phone is going crazy and you're trying, (laughs) you're trying not to like look like you're looking at your phone. So you're, you're trying to keep your eyes up, but you're texting like barf emojis to your. (laughs) Yeah. When we have a family zoom call, whoever doesn't show up just gets roasted the entire (laughs) zoom call. (laughs) Hey, uh, speaking of families, this is the live warehouse party. And we have a guest coming up who thinks about family a lot. So much so, Elena, that Kirkus actually called her the poet laureate of difficult families. Oh, yeah. Which, <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's the author of six books, including the bestsellers The Middlesteens and All Grown Up. Uh, she stopped by the Alberta Rose Theater back in November of 2019 to talk about her latest book, All This Could Be Yours. Uh, take a listen to this. It's our chat with Jamie Attenberg uh, right here on the Live Wirehouse Party. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the show. Hi. How's it going? Uh, for people that haven't had a chance to read the book, can you kind of lay out the, the sort of broad strokes of the story? Yeah. So it's set in New Orleans. Um, and in the first couple of pages, Victor Tuckman, who is a bad, rich man, who's bad in all the bad, rich man ways, um, he has a heart attack. And then he's just in a coma for the rest of the book. That's uh, just a lot of wishful thinking here. Just put all the bad men into comas. Um <laughs> I was going to say, it's like, he's a shady real estate guy from New York. He's got some sex scandals going on. Yeah. I don't know who that reminds me of. Well, unfortunately, like lots of people. So I didn't really have to pick just one. Um, And he is his own character. But about two pages was really all I could spend in his mindset. And then I was really disinterested in his family and, and kind of the, the legacy of this kind of toxic behavior and what happens to them. And 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 how they can work through it generationally, and then and and hopefully move somewhere better in their lives. 
I have to say that, sadly, even though Victor is, is only kind of conscious for a very short amount of this book, I could identify with a lot of the stuff he was doing. Is that I true? I like gambling. Yeah. I like alcohol. That's, he's only there for two pages, but he lives a real life. Yeah. Loses $1,000 gambling, tries to drink some spoiled scotch. Smokes a cigar. Gets yelled at by the people that live downstairs from him. Right. Yeah. I mean, he really packs a lot into those he's two bad, pages. He's, bad, he's kind of bad news, for sure. And he's bad news throughout the book, too. Yeah, were you tempted to redeem him in some no, way? I mean, I want... I, I mean, I approach all my books with the idea that I'm going to try to be compassionate. I either like my characters at the beginning of the book and then I figure out what their flaws are or I dislike them and then I write my way to understanding them. And I really try to do that with all of my characters all the time. And with him, I could not do it. I could not figure out a way to redeem him. And I didn't care. I was like, wait, I don't actually have to. Why? And I feel like that's something we do all the time as we turn these kinds of men into anti-heroes. And I don't, I'm over it. I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Was that cathartic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's cathartic, but it, was, it felt necessary. I, I read somewhere you said that the characters that kvetch the loudest are the ones that you become interested in right yeah. away. Like, what is, how does that manifest? Are these, like, characters in a book you're working on just in your head making noise, and whichever one is making the most noise is who, the one you gravitate towards? They're the ones that are showing me the world, right? So in this, in this instance, the sixth chapter of the book was the beginning of the book for a really long time, and it was Victor's daughter. I, ha- I saw a woman. I heard a woman in my head. And she was sitting on the roof of a hotel. She was visiting a town and her father was in a coma and she didn't like her father. And her mother was kind of the keeper of all these secrets. And I knew all of that within two or three paragraphs. I just heard her talking and she was, her gaze was showing me this universe. And so I, and I was, and I was like, all right, I want to spend time with all these characters. And I knew that I didn't want to just trust her opinion. I wanted to get to know them all. So you get to meet lots of characters in this book. I'm always interested in this from people who who write fiction, but it's like these characters, they just sort of reveal themselves to you. It's like they have a life of their own and they're just doing their thing and you're just observing it, even though your brain is the one actually creating the stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, we, look, it's very busy in my brain. There's a lot (laughs) going on up here. By the end of a book, I really, you know, I, when I have almost all of a book done, I have lots of characters that I'm like just living with in my head. And then when I finish a book, people always want to know how you know when it's done. And I really just go from character to character and make sure they've said everything they have to say. Mm-hmm. And then, but, and then I'll might maybe add in another chapter and let another character show up. But I do live in harmony with these, with these characters. <laughs> we are, we're together. Yeah. So much of your work is family oriented. What do you think it is about the way that you process fiction or approach writing that makes you particularly adept at writing the family? I'm, I mean, I do find families really interesting. I love hearing other people's family stories. I grew up in a, in a gossipy kind of household where people were always telling stories about each other. I think that um, I, I think that families are really juicy material. I mean, if I, I have written some books where it's about uh, uh, relationships, families of you know friends that you that you choose, but. The fascinating thing about families is you can't choose any of these people, so they've just become really rich territory. It just makes it really easy to write about America, too, because that you can have all different kinds of right. opinions and, and politics and ethics and things like that because everyone's just sort of thrown together in this family. Right, and then they marry somebody 
and they become a part of the family and they have a wildly different experience, but now that's a part of Thanksgiving too yeah, or right. something like that. And I don't know, and families are just really messed up. Sometimes people ask me why I can't just write about a family that gets along. And I was like, cause that's just like one sentence, like they yeah. all got along and then <laughs> yeah. it's over. Uh, we're talking to Jamie Attenberg. Uh, her new book is All This Could Be Yours. We're talking about family and this family is really dysfunctional and in a lot of ways really don't like each other. Um, What's your family like? You said gossipy, but I mean, did you, like, did you kind of invent these people out of whole cloth yeah. or is there elements of your real life? No, they were, I mean, they were just there, like, I mean, I, I have, you know, seven books of characters that I, that have just sort of shown up and, um, and obviously we as writers, you know, we eavesdrop, we observe, we, the whole, you know, the whole world is really ours for the taking and then we kind of turn it around in a million ways and it shows up. My parents live in Florida. They've been married for 50 years. They're lovely people. My mom plays pickleball. Huh. Um, and, uh, and they're like, they're really, they're just like really nice people. They owned a sewing store when I was growing up. My dad was also a traveling salesman and they're pretty chill and so they love me. They're supportive. How do you know that you're getting a character right then? Like one of the characters from this book when they have a totally different experience than you and they're wired differently and their family experience has been so different. I, don't, I mean, I just think I know what I'm doing. Like, I think I'm good at my job. And I'm, a, and I'm an observer and I, and I, you know, so you do have readers, you do have people, other writers who will read your work for you and tell you if it's working or not working. But I've been doing this for 14 years, so no one has ever said to me, stop. <laughs> <laughs> this is Livewire from PRX. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. We are at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, talking to writer Jamie Attenberg. Her latest book is all this could be yours. It's the story of the Tuckman family. The, the patriarch uh, is, is basically about to die throughout the course of the book, and everybody comes back together, and nobody really likes him that much. And uh, the crux of this book is really what happens when somebody dies who nobody likes <laughs> or very few people like? And you still have to grieve them. Right. I was wondering, like, yeah, what is the, what's the, the plan for something like that? Because I think it hap that happens more than people admit in real life? Uh, I mean, it's been really interesting to have this book out in the world and to have people say, this is, this reminds me of a family member, this reminds me of a dad or an uncle or something like that. I mean, I am interested in that idea of how we don't get to control the grief that we have and we don't get, and when someone goes, it's like, you just kind of have to go through whatever process you have to go through um, to get there. And, uh, and each character kind of experiences it differently. Like Alex, who's the daughter, she really has, she has like a big confrontational scene at his bedside where she's, you know, talking through how all the things that she felt like he did, he had, how he had wronged her. And then there's Gary, who's her brother, and he's just sitting in an Airbnb in Los Angeles getting stoned and missing all the flights home. And I feel like that's who I would be. Yeah. It's like the person who keeps missing the flights home and not wanting to deal with it. But he's still dealing with it in his way. He's still trying to process his feelings in a way. Other than, uh, I guess, being entertained uh, or intrigued, what are you hoping people take away from this book? I mean, I just, it, there's so many entry points. There's so many, I just want people to think about it and talk about it. I just want to be a part of the conversation that's going on right now. And I want people to think about their families a little bit more and, and be forgiving where they need to be, but also to kind of call people on their crap when you need to call them on their crap. Because I think that we put up with a lot of stuff and actually it might be really good for everybody if we just say at that Thanksgiving dinner, this is an unacceptable behavior and, and we kind of need to move on. To me, the patriarchy is is fascinating because it is both 
fully functional and totally broken at the same time. And But it's only fully functional for some people. And it's really broken for a lot of people. So, I, I mean, this is about claiming it, noticing it, analyzing it, but also just moving the hell on. Uh, we're talking to Jamie Attenberg. This is Livewire Radio. Her new book is All This Could Be Yours. Jamie, uh, you created something called the 1,000 Words of Summer Project, uh, where I guess you send out emails encouraging other writers to write 1,000 words a day for 10 days in the middle of the summer. That's right. This is uh, a great idea. We salute your dedication to word count. <laughs> okay, but we wanted to see how good you are with literature by the numbers uh, with a little exercise that we call... Let's get quizzical. Let's get quizzical, quizzical. I wanna get quizzical. Let's see if you know your stuff. Livewire house band, ladies and gentlemen. So, Jamie, these are all questions about word count. And yes, this might be the most public radio game ever. <laughs> Deal with it, America. Wow. Okay. This is nerdy as hell, man. <laughs> Which has the higher word count, the Declaration of Independence or the Wikipedia entry for the restaurant chain Popeyes? I'm going to say Popeyes. You're absolutely right. <laughs> it has 1,427 words, whereas the Declaration of Independence has 1,337 words. Here's the thing. Popeyes was actually trailing the Declaration of Independence before it launched its new chicken sandwich, which added 310 words to the Wikipedia entry. Well and I do believe... One, Elena Passarello had one of those today. Yeah, hours ago. And you didn't even know we were talking about it on the show. Nope. That was just kismet. Was yeah. it your first one? It was my first one. I had one, too. Did you go spicy? I, yeah, I mean, I was in New Orleans, so yeah, we go spicy Yeah, you got to go spicy. Yeah. Oh, you had, oh, you had Popeye's chicken in Louisiana. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yes. I mean, yeah. a real triumph. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about this? Which has a higher word count? The 1848 translation of Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto or the Wikipedia entry for Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. I'm going to go with the manifesto. You're absolutely right. You are good at this game. Do you study word count? Is that part of your thing? Finally a skill that I have. Yes. You're really good at this. The Communist Manifesto has 17,571 words. The uh, Wikipedia entry is a paltry 3,897. I'm actually surprised it's that low. I just feel like you get people going online. Uh, how about this? Which has a higher word count, The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe or the pilot episode of the TV show, That's So Raven? <laughs> which was titled Test of Friendship. I think it would be That's So Raven. I think you would be so right, Jamie. That is so Jamie. The That's So Raven pilot episode, Test of Friendship, has 2,427 words in it. The Raven, on the other hand, is 1,091 words. The Baltimore Ravens football team is named for the poem, The Raven, by Edgar Allan Poe, Baltimore resident. How about this one? Which has a higher word count, Jamie Attenberg? The original 19th century lyrics to the Star Spangled Banner or Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven? I think the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, you're so, this is very close. It's actually Stairway to Heaven if you count ooze, <laughs> which there are almost none of in the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> it's not ooze, say, can you see? Nope, turns out it's not. This, though, 
is actually the wildest detail from this question. Uh, Robert Plant, of course, famously of Led Zeppelin, once gave $10,000 to listener-supported radio station KBOO here in Portland, Oregon, during a pledge drive. They've, they've been living off that $10,000 for the last 15 years. This really happened. Uh, the disc jockey on KBOO was asking for donations and promising if people donated that they would never play Stairway to Heaven again. <laughs> Robert Plant was in a rental car driving to the Oregon coast. He's flipping the station. He hears K-Boo promising to never play Stairway to Heaven again. And he loved it so much, he called in and donated $10,000. I guess I would just say, Mick Jagger, if you're listening... We'll never play uh, Tumbling Dice. I mean, we're happy to never play any song for $10,000. Yeah. Jamie, you did very well at that quiz. That's amazing. Um, You really know your word counts. Nice job. And great job on the book, too. It's called All This Could Be Yours. It's by Jamie Attenberg. Thank you so much. That was Jamie Attenberg here on the Livewire House Party. Uh, her latest book is All This Could Be Yours. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We have to take a very quick break, but stay with us because when we come back, we are going to hear a song from Federale that you're not going to want to miss. Stick around. Special thanks this episode to Nancy Adair of Scottsdale, Arizona, and Caitlin Donovan of Portland, Oregon. Nancy and Caitlin are part of the Livewire member community, and they have been generously supporting us with a donation each month. We are very thankful for that support because it's genuinely what helps us be able to actually do this show. So a huge thanks to Nancy and Caitlin from all of us at Livewire. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. Our musical guest uh, this hour, Angelica Garcia, grew up in L.A., uh, but lives in Richmond, Virginia these days. And her song, Hickama, was featured on none other than Barack Obama's legendary (gasps) year-end playlist. Elena, you're a writer, and Barack Obama also puts out his list of books Mm -hmm. each year. Like... Have you ever secretly dreamed oh, yeah. that, you know, animals strike curious poses? Yeah. Might, your book might pop up on his list? Oh, yeah. And that would be a, as big of an honor as the National Literary Prize to be on his list. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But <laughs> Hey, let's not rule it out. You never know. Um, well, Angelica, our musical guest this hour, knows what it's like on the music side of that wow. because President Obama put this song, Hickama, on that list. Um, she stopped by the Alberta Rose Theater back in March. 
uh, for what we didn't know at the time was going to be our last show in front of a live audience. They were in for a real treat. And so are all of you out there in Radioland. Take a listen to this. It's Angelica Garcia here on Livewire. You grew up in L.A. Mm-hmm. What was the kind of musical scene like in your house growing up? What was playing on the radio? What were what were you hearing? Yeah. Um, so uh, I grew up, I spent a lot of time at my um, maternal grandmother's house um, my aunt, uncle, and mom were all ranchera singers. They all sang at rodeos and at, like, clubs in L.A. when they were kids. So I always grew up hearing Mexican folk music. And um, there was a lot of, like, harmony and singing at parties. And, uh, yeah, so it was, like, a combination of that and, like, American pop music growing up. Like, my mom loved Janet Jackson and... All that stuff. So, and did I read your mom actually had a radio hit? Yeah, in the she 90s? did. She did. Um, she had a, a Billboard chart um, in like '92, I think. Um, and then she had me, so I messed it up. Yeah. <laughs> but what was the song? Uh, she did a, a remake of the Rosie and Original song "Angel Baby." Yeah, but if you feel like checking out her album too, it's super '90s. It's really fun. <laughs> Yeah. Did you uh, know that Barack Obama liked your music before he put it on his year-end list? No. Did you have any idea that was about to happen, or was it like, oh, my God? No, I had no idea. I um, actually had flown in uh, the night before, like, really early in the morning, and so I was totally zonked, and I woke up, like, probably looking like a troll, and I just had all these, like, text messages coming in, and I was like, what's what's going on? And people were like, I'm crying. And I was like, oh God, who died? What happened? <laughs> and, uh, and it was like, oh, Barack Obama, that's crazy. So of course, like after that, the next few days, me and my friends were taking turns, like impersonating his voice, trying to say, Hikuma. Because <laughs> <laughs> the song that he put on his list is Hikuma? Yeah, it's yeah. Hikuma, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah. Can you imagine him listening to it, like actually listening to it? Well, we were laughing about that because I was like, is he like at the gym, like <laughs> listening to this? I don't know. <laughs> and then I was like, I was honestly more nervous. Like, I was like, oh, my God, Michelle, what if she heard it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that so much. You, you went to this very well-regarded performing arts high school in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you like this comparison or not, but people kind of think of it as like fame, the L.A. Yeah, version. I heard that. <laughs> what was that like to be in that high school environment for you? It was really crazy. Uh, so I didn't even know about the school. And then my stepdad was the one that was like, hey, you love to sing. You should audition to do this. And um, it was great. I I had a lot of teachers in my family but it wasn't like formal theory or like classical training it was more like a home style training and so it was really life-changing for me to get to go and study jazz and to study opera and um, even though that's not necessarily what I'm doing or what I'm playing I feel like it affects my technique and how I approach music in general and so I'm grateful for that all right This is Angelica Garcia on Livewire.
That was Angelica Garcia, recorded back in March at the Alberta Rose Theater. Her latest album is Cha Cha Palace. Well, that's going to do it for our show this week. Uh, a huge thanks to our guests, Hari Kondabalu, Sarah Scholes, and Angelica Garcia. Livewire is brought to you in part by Foley, Alaska Airlines, and the Jupiter Hotel. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Amy McCormick is our development director. And Ariana Donneville is our marketing associate. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is Sam Tucker, Ethan Fox Tucker, and A. Walker Spring, who also composed our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director, and she mixed this episode along with Corey Schreppel. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Cultural Trust and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we'd like to thank member Lynn Pham of Portland, Oregon. That's a familiar name. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Livewire. When we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.